0: Inflation, crypto crashes, currency wars, land wars, Star Wars. These are crazy times, and it's said that in an insane society, the sane man must appear insane. Well, whether or not we're sane or insane is up for debate, but we think today's guest at least appears sane. But wait, does that mean he's insane? We don't know. But what we do know is that Bill Tai is a really interesting guy, and that rhymes. As an incredibly successful venture capitalist who's helped many unicorns become funded, his take on today's... <laughs> is
1: that a unicorn?
0: Was that a unicorn? I don't know. I don't know. I, don't know. I never heard one. You're just horsing around? <laughs> his take on today's current events is quite valuable. He may not be the science guy, but he is Bill Ty, and he's with us today on episode number 617 of the Bad Crypto Podcast.
1: Five. Three, two, one, zero, Who's that? Who's there?
0: mentioned Star Wars on the intro is apparently Disney and their fake wokeness have done it again. The new Obi-Wan series is supposedly a shit show and I will not be watching it. Star Wars has gone off the rails and so much for... um,
1: I watched it. I watched it with the kids. It doesn't seem seem so wokish. Really? I can see certain moments where they're trying to weave wokery in but... In the end, it didn't seem it didn't seem so
0: wokish. Oh well, if you give it a at least a, a thumbs sideways, I enjoyed
1: it. I thought I thought it was good. So five of the episodes have been out. The last one is not out yet. But I mean, I watched my kids were here this week and last week, and we watched them, and I I actually enjoyed it. Is re- I thought it was pretty good because it, it brings in Anakin. Anakin, the Hayden Christensen, really looks pretty similar to how he did whenever they made you know episode three way back in the day which and obi-Wan is you and you uh, and McGregor whatever his name is Owen McGregor Aaron. Ewan. Aaron. Ewan. yeah, yeah. getting the train getting the train, trainwin yeah.
0: yeah. I but don't know yeah, so I, I liked maybe, it yeah. I
1: thought it was I thought it was solid I didn't I, you know what there's a couple of moments where I could see they're trying to weave in some wokery but it wasn't so bad
0: all right so now I want to see what does rotten tomatoes say and of course you know that that is where you get both um, the critics and the audience score. So critics, which if it is woke, they're going to like it. And if it's really good, they might like it as well. 83% audience score, 59%. I don't wow. know why audiences are difficult though. Right. Mm-hmm. Audiences just um, is difficult. And so I'm looking at a lot of the reviews here and, uh, they're not good but I'm glad you and your kids enjoyed it you know if it's if it's entertainment and it kind of takes you away like Calgon from all of the rest you know what, of it was
1: I enjoyed it because it's like it's obi-wan and it's it they're, they're showing stuff they never showed before like when the you know when the twins were born and let Luke and Leia they get in two different places and now you know there's young Leia and, and I think the next episode is going to be about young Luke but y- these are things we never saw before. And like when the younglings were killed by by, you know, Anakin Skywalker, all, you'd never seen any of these pieces before. So use I the thought farts. It was, I thought it was pretty well. I'd give it I'd give it at least an 85 percent.
0: Use, use the farts, Travis. May the farts oh. be with you. <laughs> so this is a really great uh, interview today, guys. I think you're going to really enjoy Bill. You discovered Bill. You found him. He was like hiding on the other side of your wall. What was he doing there?
1: Well, I I interviewed Bill in probably 2013 or 14 when I was with VentureBeat, did the VentureBeat podcast. Uh, Stuart Rogers and I, we interviewed him once upon a time. He was with Treasure Data. I I was a marketing technologist, one of the top marketing technologist dudes out there. And so I interviewed and discovered all these different marketing techs. But this guy was first money in a whole lot of really great projects. He's going to talk about that in this episode. Really sharp dude, doing really cool things in Web3. He tends to see things before most the deals that come his way tend to come his way first. And he has won time and time again. So he's a true futurist because he sees it, puts money in on it and has, has been rewarded. And dude, when you, when you watch him, it's like his office is not pretentious. You look behind him and he's just a big fat stack of books behind him. So what, what do the super sharp people do? They tend to read, the words of others and learn as much as possible. Standing on the shoulders of giants is what a lot of folks do that are that are sharp investors. And
0: he's a great dude. So we think you're going to really enjoy this. Let's get into what in the world is going on with our friend Bill Ty. The world is a crazy, crazy place. Good citizens of the Republic of Bad Cryptopia, and we are your semi-crazy somewhat insane blockchain blockheads here to take you on that journey down this road. And, you know, we thought this would be a good time to catch up with somebody who has been funding startups as a VC since 1991 and has had 23 of his startups become listed companies. The dude has watched every single iteration of the tech cycle, been a part of it, has a lot to say, and we're going to find out what in the world is going on with our new friend here, Bill Tai. Bill, welcome to Bed Crypto.
2: Hey, thanks, Joel and Travis. Wow, crazy times, fun times, lots of opportunity in the chaos.
0: Indeed, you know, as I'm reading your bio here, I see you went to uh, to U of I, what year? Oh, uh, University of Illinois, class yeah. of 1984, electrical engineering. Is that right? So I graduated in 86, uh, speech comm. No so we were on campus uh, in Champaign, I'm assuming. Yes, uh, At the same time. Yeah, so uh, Wait, is actually, that the
1: guy who gave you a swirly at that party? Because you were you are the nerd, Joel. Is that, the that guy, you're talking it about? might
0: have been. Uh, ah. Fortunately, I've always been smart <laughs> enough to avoid swirly. See, that's the thing about bullies. <laughs> when you're smarter than bullies, you know how to avoid getting into deals with them. Because I had worn glasses since I was five years old, and I had braces for like ten years. And I'm like, I'm not messing up my eyes or my teeth. I'm not fighting anybody. I'm lover,
2: not a fighter. So, hey, uh, Joel, I got to ask you. So what wait, what college in the university were you? And I, I'm going to make a statement about Illinois that you may or may not know about why they became prominent in engineering. Uh, so liberal arts. OK, yeah. yeah. So you may not know that when the transistor was invented, there were three guys that invented it. Um, one was Shockley that ended up at Stanford, one was Walter Bertain that ended up at AT&T Bell Labs, and the other main one was John Bardeen that ended up at the faculty at University of Illinois, which is why in the 50s and 60s, tons of companies in the transformation of the world of electronics would donate equipment to get engineers out of Illinois to join their companies, and you know, uh, AMD was founded by somebody from Illinois. The VP of Engineering recently, Jeff Huber's from Illinois. The, the technical founders of PayPal and YouTube, obviously the browser came from there. The first graphical user interface for computer systems. Uh, there's so many innovations from Illinois, and most people are like, "Well, how'd that happen in a cornfield?" But that's why.
0: Yeah, I remember walking by the Triple E Building, you know, many times thinking that's where the future is being built. Right? It's not in Liberal Arts College from Speech Communications. I'm the guy who's going to talk about what they've built. Uh, while you guys were, were busy building there. So anyhow, got a, our, our paths crossed. You graduated the same year that my brother did. And he was there in, um, as and he got his, uh, uh, CPA, he became an accountant.
2: Awesome. Another great school in Illinois. Yeah. They're, they're known for that too. Feeders feedstock for lots of the big CPA firms.
1: So that's really weird is because I thought that you went to science because you're Bill Ty, the science guy.
2: <laughs> that rhymes. Bill, Bill, Bill,
0: one letter off. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh wait it's different oh that's the other guy
0: this guy's a, this guy's a real scientist bill nye is not he's a performer
1: okay all right all right well never mind this interview is going to go off the rails now because i thought you were somebody different what rails <laughs> I just where we're crazy. going
0: we don't need rails
1: no this is exciting though we're talking to somebody who has invested in so many projects that have become unicorns in in multiple eras right so unicorn is one that becomes a billion dollar business he has invested in more than 10 maybe more than 20 that's become how many total bill like this is like it's amazing to me all the wins you found like it depends on the batting average you got over there
2: depends on when you clock them because sometimes they go up and sometimes they go down sometimes they'll touch a billion and come back down sometimes they'll touch a billion and go to 150 billion like zoom did for a little bit
1: One of the first monies in Zoom, folks. We're actually recording this on Zoom. And so this is very meta
2: right now. Wow. You probably don't do
1: nearly enough Zoom meetings, I bet, right? (laughs)
2: Well, And by the way, Zoom is the metaverse, right? We could all come on here as lawyer cat or with an avatar, and it's a different form of metaverse. But, you know, people don't actually realize that it is one of the world's biggest metaverses.
0: Mm. Don't get me started on the metaverse discussion. I've, I've done my rant on that on this show so many times. Y'all know how I feel. There's only one stinking metaverse. Everything else is averse. Too late. I got started. What are some of the other companies that you invested in and through your VC capital at?
2: Uh, you know, I guess more recently, uh, I'm known as a kind of the catalyst investor that helped uh, get Canva off the ground. Uh, recent valuation on that in the peak of last year was $40 billion. And, uh, you know, valuations are subjective. It might be subjectively lower or not now, but it probably comes back to that or higher if it did go lower. Uh, I'm a seed in wish.com. Um, they were a rocket ride coming into the IPO. They've fallen on a little bit of a rough patch here. But, uh, you know, you could think of those three as cloud video, cloud design, cloud shopping, uh, I was also a founding investor and co-founder of treasure data which is a cloud Hadoop infrastructure company um I'm an I remember
1: coach. i remember meeting you so we were already connected on on LinkedIn from years ago so we've been connected i think almost 10 years because i remember meeting you from my previous life of being a marketing technologist and and working over there in that space so that's been yeah, yeah, remember, yeah that, thank you treasure data
2: yeah, and thanks for, for interviewing us there because you know that was such a, a weird, interesting, geeky company at the beginning doing you know Hadoop on the cloud and it became kind of mainstream. Uh, Treasure Data today is one of the world's leaders in what's called customer data platforms, kind of a next iteration of what Salesforce.com does. But uh, yeah, and I'm an original investor in TweetDeck and Tango and Boxer and- That's uh, relevant to us.
1: And we were the very first podcast to ever talk about NFTs with CryptoKitties. And you were an early investor with Dapper Labs, correct?
2: Yes, I'm in that first out. Yeah, the first uh, round of funding from angels. I'm in there with guys like Mark Pincus and, you know, folks like that. Yes, yeah. So Dapper Labs, and I I did happen also in the crypto space. Uh, Somewhere back in 2010, I started, uh, you know, getting into mining and ended up paying for the Silicon chip that was Bitfury's main, main, you know, ASIC in that era from kind of 2012 through 2017, they were probably the largest mining operation for many of those years and still a player, you know, not as, not as big as uh, others now, but still a significant force in the market. So what was your
1: first thought? Hold on, go go ahead, Joel.
2: Uh, Follow up. Go ahead.
0: What was your first thought?
1: yeah, what was your first thought when you when you encountered Bitcoin? Because you mentioned two thousand ten, like that's super early. When I encountered it, I thought, "Wow, this is magical internet money." I put it on my laptop. I mined a block. It destroyed my laptop. I was pissed. This thing destroyed my computer. God, this thing sucks. And so, and then I ended up losing my Bitcoin. And I should have thought, "Wow, I should get a whole bunch of computers," but I didn't. I, was, I cussed it. So what when you first saw it like what how does your thought process go when you see a new technology like bitcoin? what what's the build type sort of how do you do analysis on something new that comes your way like that?
2: Well, I have to say that the buildup to that moment uh, was it was many years. Um so I first uh, got super excited about it Thanksgiving weekend twenty ten and there's a tweet out there on my account that, Is kind of a historic tweet saying, hey, anyone else using Bitcoin? It's the the peer-to-peer currency. Fascinating potential. And why I I immediately took to it, uh, there's a couple of threads here. One was um, a good friend of mine around year 99 or 2000 uh, started Second Life. Philip Rosedale, he's a guy that used to snowboard with me. Mm-hmm. And when Second Life launched, there there wasn't a lot to do because it was an unstructured game. And I took the avatar name and role of Alan Greenspan Gollum. And Alan Greenspan was chairman of the Fed around that time. So Philip and I used to talk a lot about uh, economics and currencies and launched the Linden dollar around two thousand four five six. So I was already thinking about it for a good five or six years before the Bitcoin white paper even came out. And around that era, 1999, I started a company that uh, called, at the time, ifrog.com. So you could visualize a frog with big eyes. It was a a peer-to-peer infrastructure network for video content delivery. Uh, mm-hmm. Philip Rosedale was one of my advisors, as was Le- Linus Torvalds, who worked in one of my companies, mm-hmm. and an all-star team. And we created this incredible piece of technology that, uh, that did survive to uh, get acquired by Nokia to become uh, something they launched with their web phones in 2006 called Files by Ovi. It was basically iCloud two years before the iPhone came out. And, uh, but Nokia didn't have the right hardware. Anyway, so the peer-to-peer element, the the understanding of macroeconomics and currencies led to an epiphany when I was like, this is it. This is, uh, this is, this is it. This is the culmination of those technologies into a value exchange me- methodology that's going to be super secure, really low friction and just universal. And uh, yeah, so I just kind of went all in and ended up uh, funding, you know, which was hard at the time, funding somebody's silicon to do it at scale. All
0: right, let's jump to current because the title of the show is what the world is going on with Bill Tye. What the world is going on, right? We've got out of control inflation. We've got an administration that doesn't that seems to need a complete rectal cranial extraction. We have uh, um, Celsius, we have luna and these defaults and DeFi, bitcoin is right at its previous all-time high which is down quite a bit from its most recent all-time high you're looking at the scenario along with the people you talk with and you know what do you see happening here and are we going into some sort of deep recession will crypto decouple and what about naomi i feel like it's turning into a soap opera
2: You know, that so you've touched on a whole bunch of different uh, waves of things that are converging right at this time. You know, from a big macro perspective, it feels like the equity markets and bond markets, you know, the major capital markets are hitting something that feels a little bit like what happened in the late 70s, early 80s, when there was the oil price shock from OPEC. Um, that caused uh, an inflationary spike that wouldn't go away, and uh, 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 a rapid increase in interest rates under Paul Volcker to jam interest rates up. When you were in college, you might remember when you were at Illinois, you could take your government loans for school at zero to three percent interest rates mm-hmm. and throw them in the money market at fourteen to sixteen percent. Right? I wasn't so, I
0: wasn't smart enough to know that I could do that, um, and and it, I just learned that today. Uh, 40 years after, you know, getting out of school. So thanks, Bill. I feel real stupid now.
2: (laughs) But I, I, well, I was lucky enough to arm my student loans into, uh, you know, some good interest rate stuff, you know, but, but we're in that kind of environment again, where I think the, the Fed has to do something to shock uh, the price shock out of the system. The increase in the interest rates obviously makes uh, other asset classes that provide interest re- interest returns a lot more attractive than they have been for a long time. You know, obviously, if uh, in the environment of a couple years ago, if you have near zero percent interest rate uh, on on your bank account, there's no reason to put your money in the bank. So it all was going into the equity markets and into venture capital and crypto. Now I think you know we're on a path where you might actually be better off hanging out, waiting for a bit and then putting it into interest bearing things, which then depresses the equity market. So I think from a a big stock market picture, we have that. We have rising rates, shrinking multiples. Uh, The crypto markets, because of the withdrawal of liquidity uh, from the system, I think those entities that have concentrated um, debt positions on top of what they're holding, they're experiencing difficulty in keeping the system liquid and paying, just like if you borrowed too much money on your own income. And we are facing what feels like, you know, little baby Bear Stearns and Lehman moments. You know, just like the overall financial system was at risk because Bear Stearns had those hedge funds with enormous debt on them, uh, as did Lehman on its own balance sheet. Um, You know, these little things that we're seeing out of uh, whether it's Celsius or, you know, uh, Three Arrows Capital or what happened with Terra Luna, those are going to be little shocks to the system where there's a crater that kind of imploded on itself. And that crater holes of, you know, disappearing capital has got to get filled in before the system stabilizes. But, you know, so big picture risk, uh, tactical implosion. Uh, it's going to drag down valuations, along with you know what's happening in the macro market for a little bit here. But in every piece of chaos, there's opportunity. You know Warren Buffett always says you buy when there's blood in the streets, including your blood. And uh, everyone out there is bleeding a little bit right now. Oh, it's it's bloody.
1: It hurts. My shirt's all red. Bloody hell. My glasses are all red too. It's weird. <laughs> so you know. A lot of people are going, okay, so like what now? You know, we we've talked about the that Warren Buffett quote. In fact, we were on a Twitter space last night. We mentioned something to that effect. And then one of the people said, you know, from hearing from you guys and hearing that Warren Buffett quote, you know, Bitcoin might be a 20 grand, but I'm buying. Right. And and so a lot of people were talking about, including Joel mentioned it last night, that we think the markets are, are sort of oversold in some places. Maybe ETH is oversold tremendously. Bitcoin might be oversold. Um, as you mentioned, we're going really close to that all time high, you know, the total crypto market right now, you know, the all time high crypto market in 2017, 2019 was $840 billion. Now we're sitting at $929 billion. Like those numbers are teetering really close. Like, is like where are we heading in that regard? Like with the oversold stuff, is that accurate from your estimation? Are we going to bounce up off of twenty and pop up for a little bit? Are we going to dip below twenty? And if so, it will be the first time in Bitcoin's history that it's ever actually gone below a previous cycle's all-time high after creating massive new highs. So, like, you know, putting on your uh, your uh, future hat, what do you think? Like, or how are you handling it? All right, what do you think, you know, we're seeing? Seriously- yeah, I,
2: I think basically the, so, so when when asked, you know, are we at a bottom, um, that's always a relative question to where interest rates are and where other asset classes are, right, if valuations for everything else in the world are coming down, uh, crypto may come down proportionately, but if you take a spot moment like right now, uh, you know, it's if interest rates were to stabilize. So if you didn't have moving waters, a, move, a rising or falling tide, and the rest of the stuff on a relative basis, I think we'd be near a bottom. But could we have further increases in rates, interest rates, to then bring the valuations of other things down because of, there's a sucking sound of the capital out of quote risk assets? Into like safe, you know, interest-bearing things that could happen, right? So I'd say that uh, I wouldn't be surprised if there's like a, a panic moment where Bitcoin could fall to between 14 and 20k. You know that that wouldn't be out of the picture. I don't think it would last very long, and I think you know, like Warren Buffett's quote: "When there's true panic, every time there's been true panic, like." the Lehman moment in the last, you know, great financial crisis, those were always buying opportunities. So the question is, what is your timeframe? If you can hang on long enough or want to hang on long enough, there's going to be fantastic buying opportunities in this, in this, you know, coming months. I've seen two
0: people tweet today that they think the V-shape is going to be massive and they are, they're calling for a hundred thousand this year. Is that out of the question, or when we look at how quickly we went from 3,500 to 69,000, does that seem like something that could be a reality?
2: I think oh, so. So, I wouldn't rule it out. The factors that would have to be in place, in my individual opinion, for something like that to happen would be that the tightening of rates, meaning the raising of rates, and the withdrawal of liquidity from the Fed balance sheet that has caused this kind of contraction and, you know, kind of spread of fear. If that starts to affect the overall economy in a way where the jobs growth rate stops going up and goes down, you know, so where people are losing their jobs broadly, not just in tech, and where the revenue to companies broadly starts to slow down, meaning we have a recession and job loss. Uh, while it sounds like, whoa, how could that produce a high? That 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 sounds totally dumb. That is the scenario under which the Fed would start to pump money into the system again to keep it from falling off a cliff. So you know, this is exactly why all of these assets, stocks, uh, crypto, everything else, went rocketing during COVID because the economy stopped. And the Fed had to do something about it. Just like in Second Life, you know, if you pump a lot of currency into the system, the economic activity starts to go. And that's when the assets start to rise in price. And right now we're in a mode where the Fed is trying to cool stuff down because of the shock from Ukraine and oil prices and other gas prices coming up. They've got to take that edge off. Otherwise the whole system becomes unstable.
1: Mm. So let me ask you about this because there are some geopolitical global, economic things at play here, right? Because China's having bank runs right now. Nobody's really talking about it, but, you know, Evergrande crashed, right? That's huge. And so that aside, we've taken, you know, the the world financial system has taken Russia off of the world financial rails, right? And now countries are saying, wait a second, they just canceled Russia. Okay, so are they going to cancel us? And so it seems like there's more countries that are, looking at the option of no longer using dollars as the petrol dollar right And so there's the risk of the dollar no longer being the world reserve currency like this run right here is the one that it seems to me like we've been hearing about for years like that it's like whoa this could be real, this could be unlike any this could be godlike crash.
2: there is that pressure building in the system. I don't know if it's going to happen anytime, or the collapse. I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. My guess is that it, it, the major collapse doesn't happen in my lifetime. It might happen in the next generation's lifetime or the one after that. But, you know, people always wonder, like, wow, with all this money printing that's been going on, why aren't we in kind of like the Weimar Republic, Germany thing where people read right. books with pictures of people pushing shopping carts full of paper bills to get all over bread? You know, and I think we're in a really interesting situation here. If you think about the big picture, it's fascinating because we're in a world today where the world GDP, meaning the whole world product, like you know, if you measure the revenue of everything sold, bought, sold in a year, it's around seventy trillion. The debt load supported by that seventy trillion is about two hundred and seventy trillion. The ratio. Uh, total total amount. So yeah, total amount of debt supported by the seventy trillion of economic uh, activity. But for a long time, the GDP has only been growing a couple percent a year. The debt grows ten percent a year, like clockwork, right? So so we might add a couple trillion of GDP every year, but we add you know ten percent of two hundred and seven. We twenty seven billion. On top of the trillion every year. I said I, I might have a, a a zero off on that, but you know the the big 270 trillion is growing 10 a year, the GDP of 70 is growing
1: two percent yeah. a year. And it's, explain to that, explain to us, Bill. Explain to our, our listeners, like who exactly is that owed to? Right, and people go, wait a second, the US owes how many trillions of like to who? Yeah, okay. Right? So that, and then that's once they that's, understand that's me. Who, uh, I yeah. sent
0: I sent an invoice to the U.S. government and I'm okay, still- Okay, they gotta I, pay Joel. And I'm taking it, you know, in small payments is fine. I don't need it all at once.
2: Yeah. okay. That's the whole world's debt of all kinds. Like, you know, mortgage debt, consumer debt, to get company to company debt, bond market. So it's not just the U.S., but the U.S. obviously as the tokenized value that's underlying a lot of that because it's denominated in U.S. dollars. Um, if the system somehow breaks, then the main currency, of course, is kind of at risk, right? Because, you know, putting it back, bringing it back to what you said about China Evergrande, the, the way the system had been functioning until recently was all equally scarily fascinating. You know, everybody in America shops at, you know, Walmart or whatever they shop at online through Amazon. Everything you buy is made in China, right? So when you buy that item here and you pay, that payment in US dollars goes to China, but it doesn't go to the guy that made it, made the goods. It goes to the Bank of China and they hoard it. And they use that pile of US dollars to print their currency against their holding. So there's like a little bit of a shim where they can increase or decrease their money supply separate. And then the dollars that they're hoarding, they lend them back to us at interest rates. So they accrue all that money and then we pay them interest for holding. U.S. dollar money, you know? And so that system just has been growing and growing and growing. And Neil Ferguson, uh, author of Ascent of Money, calls that Chimerica. Chimerica. Yeah. So there's these loops of capital going around. And now that there's some device, increasing divisiveness that wants to kind of break that relationship, China is sitting on, on I, I forgot the number, I think it is 4 trillion or it's into trillions of dollars of U.S. dollars sitting there. Um, every time the US government has a shortfall and we do run a deficit very consistently, the US government's either got to print that money or borrow that money. When they go to borrow that money, the lender is China or any of these other countries that are holding those dollars. If they decide that they don't want to hold those dollars anymore, there's no borrowers, or there's not none, but there's a big chunk that doesn't get filled and the interest rates spike. And that'll cause all kinds of, you know, issues in our country. So it's a, it's a very delicately balanced system that is kind of, you know, been on edge for a while and increasingly so. Well, if it's you were China, system.
0: wouldn't you want to uh, have domination with your currency over the U.S. dollar then? Could they not manipulate
2: the world markets in that direction? I do think that they covet that role. I think. They, I'm guessing, and purely speculative, I'm guessing that they covet it, but realize that it can't easily be taken over quickly. You know, there was a time when the U.S. dollar kind of passed the British pound in prominence as a as the 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 main way to trade anything. And up until that point, it had been kind of the British pound as the dominant currency um, with. America becoming a manufacturing source, which uh, was also how oil was denominated. And you might, you know, George Soros, everybody knows his name. Uh, people may know that he made his big, big hit by uh, being short the British pound. And at a time when it was argued that there's no way a little hedge fund financial you know, group could overwhelm the Bank of England the bank of the richest, most productive, biggest economy, one of the biggest economies of the world. There's no way he could win that bet. But he did, because, you know, that was the point at which the British Empire um, had a saying, the sun never sets on the British Empire. And that little tiny island country controlled Canada, Australia, you know, whatever it was, they had a military base everywhere in the world. And so they were supporting people and, and machinery and military all around the world on this little economy, and they could no longer do it. So the country was on the verge of bankruptcy. Uh, so their currency collapsed, and Soros made a bundle. So I'd say that I'd argue that America looks a little bit like that now. You know, we're not at that teetering brink, but here we have installations all over the world. We're funding through debt. You know, everything in the world and. it it ultimately would put our currency at risk if something goes wrong.
1: It's almost like that. That's the plan, right? Because I mean, if you go and see what's happening at world economic forum and you pay attention to them, they talk about wanting this great reset and resetting the economy and making sure that, you know, there's all this equality for everyone, except the ones all at the top of the food chain. Right. And so it seems, it seems bizarre. It almost seems like, you know, I kind of look at the last 20 years and go, okay, post 9-11, we spent how many trillions of dollars over in the Middle East in this war, right? And then we just moved in this, you know, the the security industrial complex. Every, every airport now has all this stuff, right? It's like, they start leading us through. Oh, we're 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 got to be shuttled through like cattle, right? And so we got to kind of train society move move through. And then the amount of debt that we've encountered in the last twenty years has really taken away prosperity from from our future in a lot of ways, right? Just bad. And that's Democrat, Republican, both sides. is all they've all been part of it. And and so I just wonder. It's like. What is when is that end game? When is that time when it's like? Because to me, I've always been kind of scared of the stock market, knowing that Federal Reserve notes are are fictitious; they print them out of thin air. There's not there's no gold or anything that backs them. Once I understood that in 2000, right after the tech bubble, I was like, "Oh my god! Like this is eventually inflation and printing of money is going to create hyperinflation, which will eventually." teeter the economy because it's fiat money that's based on nothing. Historically, it's always crashed. When is it going to crash? And so my mind has always been acutely aware. And so I've missed out on some major stock investment opportunities just because I don't believe in the system, right? Whereas Bitcoin, I believe in the system. But then Bitcoin's inherently tied to the value of the US dollar and all these other cryptos are inherently tied to the value of Bitcoin. And so we've not been able to uncouple or decouple it from the traditional financial set. And here we are. I I saw it again in March of 2020 when COVID happens and they're shutting down the economy and Bitcoin and crypto tanks in accordance to the stock market. And then the stock market takes off and there's not a whole lot of consumer behavior going on. So it's just it's really strange to me because I pay attention to it, but I don't understand all the mechanisms of what's driving a lot of these things. I do believe there's a nefarious set of people up at the top that are just so hungry for control and power and they're so greedy that they're never satisfied and they love to kind of control things and so i'm just wondering like you know what should someone do at at this time right now what should the normal joe and jane how should we be looking at this like what what should we be how should we be acting
2: you know it's uh it's you, you said a couple of key things in there uh when you were talking about i believe in the system right or i believed in the system and and this is the key thing that keeps every system going. I think, you know, part of the reason you don't have uh, the issues that Weimar Germany faced is because most Americans just don't even think about it, right? They don't, they don't look at the big picture. They don't realize the level of debt. So they just don't care. And so long as that's the case, the society is fat, dumb, and happy, which is okay, right? Because then we're all fat, dumb, and happy, and we're happy. Bread and circuses,
1: Tokyo. baby. Keep them, keep them fat, fed, and entertained.
2: That's it. You know, that's it. And 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 I, I have a, a, a uh, I guess a similar question, but a different viewpoint. When you when you were saying, well, there's a bunch of people trying to control everything. You yeah, know, I there probably are actually. You know, I think there are people that are sort of trying to be the puppet master over the whole system. But I I I picture a different thing. I think they don't really have control of the puppets, and they're like hair on fire trying to figure out how to just keep it on the rails you know because things are just too hard to control you know and so so uh, yeah I, I mean if we had the control mechanisms or people that could we wouldn't have all this circus antic stuff that we're seeing in the u.s government around you know did 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 the guy win or did he lose the election or if he lost the election was he lying or like there's like, like a fucking sorry it was a circuit it's a circus all
1: Right, it is it's a circus, circus.
2: Yeah, I mean, it'd be things were right.
1: It's a fucking circus. We <laughs> on this podcast. That's, that's the new
0: title of this particular episode. Yeah. So
2: <laughs> th- what, you, what
0: I hear you saying is there's a lot of sky is falling. People are out there. Right. And we've heard this. I mean, I remember when, when Clinton got elected, people were like, oh, this is the end. He's going to destroy the economy. And then, you know, Bush got elected. Oh, he's going to war and he's going to destroy the economy. And then Obama came in with more leftist principles. This is the end. And of course, Trump was going to, you know, ruin everything. Turns out we had the best economy in years. And now, you know, with Biden, it's like the approval ratings are are the worst they've been since Jimmy Carter, like it's his approval ratings are worse than Jimmy Carter. And there's still people standing by this and believing that the the gas premiums are the Putin tax hike. What do you say to those people?
2: You know, I think inflation is one of those things where I don't know that there's you can blame it on any one person. Yeah. So so I think, you know, there there's definitely been sort of a systemic buildup. I think a lot of people were just amazed that we could have an economy with zero, near zero interest rates as long as we did, because there was, quote, no price to money. And when there's no cost to capital, decisions are, bad decisions are nearly costless. So there's a lot of capital allocated to things that maybe shouldn't have been allocated to, and when rates start to rise, you start to flush that out. You know and so I think uh, from a macro sense, it is interesting if you look at the history of capitalism, um, it's never ended well, you know, and it always ends. And so fiat currencies, I don't think that there's ever been a standard fiat currency that has been kind of the main dominant one for more than a couple hundred years ever you know, and so we're, and you know, the US dollar in its current form has actually only been around since 1972. You know, so from 19, you know, after World War II, talking about the destruction that comes of capitalism, you know, when when the Industrial Revolution happened and people got mechanized war and there was, you know, uh, a concentration of economic power in those who could own the machinery that had the capital, you ended up with these hard borders Military defend those economies, very competitive nations against each other and war. And after all that stuff was destroyed because we destroyed ourselves in Europe and all that stuff, America was last man standing. So everything was gone. Right. Imagine being in Europe among the hundred million people where you're standing on piles of rubble and every piece of paper you held previously had a face on it of a guy that was dead. And no longer in power. You know, you're holding a piece of paper with Hitler's face or Mussolini's face or and you got to reset. Right. So that was Bretton Woods. So the modern, that the near modern currency era, we basically said, oh my God, we need to restart the world. Let's just make it up and say the dollar is worth this much gold and that's the reference. And this many, you know, Euros or they're, sorry, not euros, this many lira, this many marks, this many francs to the dollar. Print them, hand them out like UBI. Gentlemen, start your engines. We start yeah. over, and then that only lasted from you know Bretton Woods until '72, and now we've been in the petrodollar era for what 50 years.
1: Yeah, once once Charles de Gaulle I believe uh, rolled up to to New York and was like, "All right, I got all these dollars. I'd like I'd like to get my gold," and they were like, "Whoa, right. whoa, whoa! That's that's a whoa! We're not going to give you all that gold." And like, "No, no, we got battleships here in Hudson Bay. We're ready to get our gold." And they're like, hold on. Yeah, I think we need to take, we need to take it off the gold standard right now because there's yep. not enough gold.
2: It would have drained the Federal Reserve. Of all the countries holding dollars out there to cash them in at once, the Federal Reserve would have been empty. So Nixon had to take it off the gold standard, uh-huh. and we moved to the petrodollar. So our currency went from being backed by gold to being effectively backed by oil or the productivity associated with oil. So countries that had surpluses – could hoard oil barrels in the form of U.S. dollars that were swappable for them. So the U.S. dollar became kind of like an ICO token for barrels Uh, of oil.
0: It's a scam. Uh, It's a scam. It was like a big scam. You said that capitalism always ends and it never ends well. The same could be said for socialism, though. It, It always ends. Well, when it does end, it never goes well, whether it ends or not, because there's socialism. People live under dictatorships far longer than they live in prosperity because dictatorships are hard to break. Prosperity tends to break itself. When you look at the social issues that we're focused on today, our fascination with celebrity you know celebrity trials and sexuality like things that are just so personal it's we're bored to death and that is never a good sign for a civilization when we stop talking about the things that are actually important
2: i agree you know idle yeah well, there's a phrase i don't remember idle that- hands
0: are the devil's work workplace
2: yeah yeah Yeah. so when you're idle that's the worst if you're if uh, the combination of really smart people that are idle that's the worst worst
0: i mean the, the, the 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 greatest generation the generation that went to war right and fought for true freedom they had meaning and significance. And then they raise the next generation that, you know, they had to deal with a, a war that was like, you know, what are we doing here? You know, Vietnam. Um, and then the whole corporate, you know, war military machine becomes a thing. And now everybody's questioning everything. And, and the of that
1: quote, you know, that one quote of tough times, create tough people, tough people create good times, good times, create, uh, uh, weak people, weak people create tough times. Mm. Right? We're in this situation right now where weak people are. We're crying about problems that are not even really problems. Like, you, oh wow, your feelings are have been you. You're, you have said feelings. Well, I come from the era sticks and stones may break my bones, but words are never going to hurt me. And now you say some word that offends somebody. Like, whoa, that's the worst thing ever. That shows that we're going into a weak system, and hard times are here, especially. When we have the automation, right? It's like, oh, we need $15 an hour to work at McDonald's. Like, no, you don't. We're going to put up in kiosks and we're not, and we're going to get automatic hamburger pre- presses, right? It's well, like in track, innovation takes a lot out of the way. those
0: weak people are then the first ones to cry and whine when they don't have their needs met and they have their hands out and they want the government
2: that helps create the problems to then solve the problems. Yeah, you know, Joel, you said something earlier where you said the greatest generation, what they had was meaning. That is what's missing, in my opinion. You know, I think if you think about the way society has has uh, drifted, if you want to call it that, from the greatest generation, when you live a life of meaning and mission, then the other stuff doesn't matter so much because you're driven by a greater good or greater purpose. And I think, we somehow as a society or not just ours, but as people get prosperous, they kind of lose that and they start to move towards this pure superficial transactionalism. And then it's, it's all kind of just, it all loses its meaning, you know? So I think, I think we, we need a reset and, you know, I, by the way, I am not a religious person at all. I, 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 I went to a Lutheran kindergarten, but I've never been to church since Uh, that said, I do believe that people need to live to a greater set of values for society to properly function and that you get the most out of life if you live an authentic life with people in a community where you share values and can build together. That's, look, at, that's idea. look
0: at what happened and, and you know whatever people believe about their faith is fine, but the downward spiral morality began when they stopped teaching the Bible in school. Even if you're going to teach it as a history book or as a moral lesson book, there's so much there. It was shortly after that that we decided, hey, it's okay to take unborn life. And now tens of millions of babies have been taken. And maybe, you know, we're seeing a, a, a trend in that. But when people don't have a moral pinning as a culture, an underpinning, a foundation, anything goes. And that's always, inertia is going to say that's going to go into chaos, which I think is what's happening right now. You can't say that a woman is a woman. We're, we live in true
2: clown world. Well, I think what, how, what I'm interpreting about what you're saying and I, that, I, that I do agree with is that we need a, a set of values. You can call it a moral fabric. You can call it a set of guidelines by which everybody agrees to live. You know, so that there's common, ca- kind of a common set of principles around which uh, people know how to fit into the context of a greater group of people, and I think this is a little bit of the issue we have now that there's such factionalism around um, very different sets of value interwoven into a bigger fabric where they they just can't mesh anymore. You know, so I think uh, when people get into tougher times, like the greatest generation, and there's an outside force that people are looking at, they stop looking at each other. It's the idle mind thing again, right? You're kind of unifying against uh, either a common mission or a common enemy. And we don't really have that right now.
1: We don't really have that right now. What we have is a crazy time that we're all trying to figure out, and we're in this... We're in this wild space together. You know, they all say, hey, we're all going to make it. I think we're all going to make it. But I do think that things are a little interesting for a while as things sort of shake up. And, you know, what is, what is maybe some advice that you would uh, give people for over these next few months as things are, are sort of crazy and, and as we're moving forward here?
2: Well, you know, given that this is a uh, crypto podcast, um, I think for this segment in particular, I think that the one beautiful thing about the fabric that is afforded by crypto and blockchain is that it does allow the discovery and unification and economic alignment of interest of any given specific community of interest. And the key word in there is community. I think to the extent that you can find groups of people that think and feel and believe the same things and can attach to those. Uh, from an economic perspective, if you're, you know, like kind of looking at like how do I preserve what little ha- I I have in that system, uh, you want to look for strong communities. And you know, among the projects that I'm I'm working on that that I think fit this discussion perfectly is a company called Metagood. And you know what what we wanted to create with that is the kind of the genesis block of all good, however you define all good. And we have a collection called Onchain Monkey which uh, is a, an NFT collection that is a PFP that trades around. Um, the commissions on those transactions go into a pool. That capital pool does fund the operations of the company, but it's also a bucket of capital that gets tapped out there like a magic wand in, a, in the structure of a DAO. So anyone that's holding that OCM can vote or nominate something to be funded And then everyone else can vote on it. And we've provided capital to save the children in Ukraine. We've used the funds to evacuate uh, Afghan girl from the hands of the Taliban. Uh, You might have seen that in Thanksgiving. She was evacuated out to Italy with her family. That was our our capital providing uh, the backstop for that. Um, We provided broadband to schools in Rwanda You know, on the theme of trying to develop economies so that there's uh, a kind of a greater economic force all around to generate the GDP to help handle all that debt we talked about earlier in, in this world. So I think, you know, look for communities that are, are strong and vibrant, that are mission driven, that aren't just speculative, like, you know, the speculative entities out there, they get hammered in environments like this. Things with true authenticity, they're sticky. You know, actually the on-chain monkey collection, by the way, is the only collection in the mid-stage kind of one to seven ETH that's actually up in the last 30 days. Everything else is down big like all other markets. The 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 price of the OCMs is actually higher today than they were three uh, 30 days ago.
1: Mm. And they were actually a free mint, right? Then you guys did something yes. where they were originally a free mint. Exactly. Yeah, and so you guys have have earned the royalties on that, which is a really solid project. And I believe we're going to have Amanda, your CTO of MetaGood, on a future nifty show to go more in depth talking about that in the future. And you're are you going to uh, New York for NFT NYC? Uh,
2: I will drop by there as I always do. Um, it's uh, obviously it's the one of the big big uh, gatherings for NFTs uh, annually, and one of the most fun. So, you know, highly recommend uh, attending lots of great people, lots of great topics and incredibly fun side parties. So definitely make it out there if you uh, get a chance.
0: And now we know what in the world. Is going on. Bill, thanks for coming on the show today, sharing your insights and opinions with us. You guys can find links to uh to Bill's LinkedIn as well as the projects that he's involved in in the show notes for this episode badco.in forward slash 617. And we'll look forward to perhaps bumping heads with you in New York City.
2: Thanks, Joel. Thanks, Travis. It's been fun talking to you. You liven it up.
0: Did you like that? We told you you'd like that, of course, you liked it. Bill's smart,
1: hated it. it was horrible. The guys, so smart and rich. Yeah.
0: You're canceled.
1: I'm his favorite.
0: <laughs> so, Trav, this episode goes out on Wednesday night. Um, mm-hmm. which I guess will be let's see, Wednesday, the 22nd of June 2022. And we are eyeballs deep in NFT NYC as this episode comes out. We gave our keynote yesterday, which will be. Tuesday, the 21st, which, of course, is still a few days ahead. We're obviously we're recording in advance because we're going to be at the show. So how was the keynote? How did we do?
1: You know, I thought you probably could have done a little better, Joel. I was, it was <sighs> really hard work carrying you the whole time.
0: Uh, so uh, my jokes were so just
1: sorry. On point And, you know, really, really, I had to pick up your slack in the future. And so in the future, you know, I don't want to do that. So how about never
0: mind? He did great. I the think the corn joke was really well placed, though.
1: <laughs> you know, we we probably ought to go through the presentation, make some tweaks this weekend, and uh, get it get it to where it's all ready, so so we don't have, neither one of us have to carry anybody. Actually, you're going to do awesome, and you're going to be on stage the whole day over there. So that's beautiful, my dude.
0: It's going to be super fun. Both of us are going to be emceeing on main stages, and uh, hopefully, we've run into some of you. This is past us talking to future us about the past. And um, we appreciate you guys listening to the show. Of course, we always love when you go and give a review. Well, we don't always love it. We only love it when you give us a good review. Make sure that you let us know, you know, what you like to hear in the future. If you got some guests you think we should have on, some topics you'd like us to cover, some teachings that you would like us to bring you would love to hear from you on that of course you can email us at bad at gmail.com and make sure you follow us on the Twitters at bad Pod. we will be doing another Twitter spaces next week and you don't want to miss this it's going to be all the latest news live and in real time along with your commentary if you want to join us on stage and a commemorative app, an nft that we will be dropping to you to be designed by sir lord travis wright in the vein of an obi-wan kenobi style
1: that's not true but thank that's you not, that's not true really at all good.
0: all that's right good. thanks again for listening we appreciate you guys we are coming up on five years of badness in july and we're going to do a special anniversary episode where basically we're going to say happy anniversary and stay back. We should do
1: that. And if we don't have a party here, we can at least have the, have the call here.
0: Oh, well, we'll we'll do an online party at the very least, right? We'll have a Zoom. Oh, we
1: should do. We, we can do a Twitter space that day.
0: Yeah. Bring your own
1: anniversary Twitter space.
0: Bring your own booze and and bring a date and uh, we'll keep you posted. Stay back.